Okay. Praise God. This is a tough subject I, I get to cover. I'm the one that got this subject. So David was telling me, wow, I'm glad you got that, and I didn't. <laughs> but we'll talk about David's big mistakes here. Thank you, Lord. Bless this word. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Bless it to our hearts. We want to learn because this is an instructive story. So uh, as we go through this story today, I want you to look for three different points because they're in the story all over the place. The first one is you can choose the sin, but you can't choose the consequence. You know, sometimes when we see young kids that are raised in church and they seem like such sweet kids and know the Lord and then they hit their teens and their early 20s and they want to try this, that, and the other, watched it over and over happen, over and over, and you just want to say, no, don't do it, don't do it, this, it will not deliver, there's going to be consequences. And many times the best kids, you know, just wanting to do what all the rest of the everybody's doing, can make kind of a mess and have all kinds of stuff they've done and they've tried and they've got lots of consequences. Sometimes, many times, they come back to the Lord. You know, maybe they want to raise their kids in the Lord. Maybe they get married or maybe they've just hit the wall like, wow, all my mistakes, all my choices are bad. I need God. But sometimes they have consequences that live, come with them the rest of their life because of bad choices. So you wish they'd just like, just do it God's way, just do it God's way, don't, don't, don't. Because you can choose the sin, but you can't choose the consequence. That really happens in this story with David. Number two that we will see, you might think you did it in secret, but you didn't. God sees. Or, same thing, you might think you got away with it, but you didn't. God will bring justice. King David really, I think he thought he got away with it. He kind of, you know, did all this maneuvering and looks like he got away with it. But in a really big way, he didn't. So that is true. Proverbs 28, 13. Do we have that? He who covers his sin will not prosper. But whoever confesses and forsakes them sins will have mercy. That's a good verse. And David could have got a hold of the prophet Nathan. And you know what? I need to confess my sin. I need to get right with God. But he just kind of covered it and went on. And you know during that time, his heart was not right with God. Not really. Not really. And three, <clears throat> true repentance restores relationship with God. God will not re resist us, will not push us away if we're really sorry and we want him. And that also happens in a really good way with King David. But nonetheless, even with his repentance, he still has some very bad consequences. So he's about 48 when this happens. He's supposed to be out making war with his army, Israel and Judah, and his general Joab. They said in the spring the kings wouldn't you know, go out to war. The reason is it's not like Mexico and Canada. We trade with them and we're at peace with them. No. Every year they'd be like, who's going to pay tribute, you or me? So I'm going to fight with you and you're going to fight with me and reestablish who's in charge around here. And David and his army were pretty good you know, soldiers, so they mostly expanded the border of Israel. But it was always being challenged who has to pay tribute and come and 
bow down before us, and they just were very warlike. So he should have been out, you know, with his army, but no, he was home. And he's on the roof. Here's the story. He sees Bathsheba. She's a young woman. We know she's young because later he marries her, and he, she, she has five children with him, five sons. The first one in the story dies. But she's young. He's 48. He has lots of wives and lots of concubines and lots of kids. She is not his for the taking. She belongs to someone else. He thinks she's beautiful. She's bathing, whatever. <laughs> and he asks about her, who is this lady? Well, she is so-and-so's daughter. She's someone's daughter. And she's Uriah the Hittite's wife. She's not available. But he sends for her, has her come up, sleeps with her. Now, this is an abuse of power. This is entitlement. Mm, I'm the king. I get everything I want. Well, I want her. Well, she, he's not supposed to do that. And, um, <clears throat> you know, there's a phrase, power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Well, King David actually had a good heart. He loved God. But he's got a real lapse here. He's not close to the Holy Spirit in this. He's just doing whatever he wants. And so we have to remember that she, some people say, oh, well, she did it on purpose. She was being this bad woman. Scripture doesn't tell us. We don't know. Um, it's possible that she loved her husband, Uriah. He was her husband. It's possible that she was spiritual and obedient, like we don't do this stuff in Israel. You can be stoned for adultery. It's possible that she really did not want to go be with this king who she doesn't even know. So if she's a non-consenting adult, this is an assault. This is the R word. He should not have done this. And she might have been like, wow, now what do I tell my husband? Well, anyway, consequences. She writes a note to him, has it sent pretty soon. She's with child. Consequences. Uriah's out fighting. She's with child. You who, you know, she could be in real trouble in Israel. And he's not going to go, well, okay, it was me. So he uh, sends a note, or, you know, tell, sends a note to Joab, send Uriah back. So Uriah the Hittite comes back, and, you know, oh, hey, how's the war going? How's the soldiers doing? How's the battles going? Well, go home, wash your feet, send some food with him. Uriah doesn't go home. Most of us know this story. He sleeps at the gate. He sleeps in a room that's for the servants, doesn't go home, and it's told to David, Uriah didn't go home. Got to up the game here. So he says to him, why didn't you go home? Here in 2 Samuel 11.11, this is what he says. This is what Uriah says. The ark and Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open fields. So shall I go to my house to eat and drink and lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Uriah is showing good character in stark contrast to what David's trying to pull off here. So um, he tries, he gets him drunk, have some more. Well, how's the more? Drink some more, you know, hoping his inhibitions will make him go home to his wife. But now he sleeps again in the servants' quarters. David sends a note with Uriah, send you back to the, to the front, give this to Joab. He's carrying his own death note. Send Uriah to the front of the battle, 
where the battle's the hottest and the fiercest, and withdraw for him, from him that he will be struck down and die. This is his death sentence. He's, he's, you know, going back to the front. Here's a note, Joab. He doesn't know. He hasn't done anything. But that's what Joab does, sends him forward, withdraws from him. Him and some other soldiers withdraws from him. They die. So not just Uriah, but several soldiers die. Now, they probably were husbands and fathers, but now they're dead because David is trying to cover his sin. And so, and then, you know, Joab sends a messenger back. Go, go, go tell King David how the war's going. And when you tell him that some of the soldiers died up too close to the wall, and he's like, why, why Joab do that? That's not good generaling. That's not good soldiering. Say him, oh, by the way, tell him, oh, by the way, Uriah the Hittite is dead. Oh, yeah, that's right, that's right. So, you know, Joab covers himself like, we did this bad, that's not good soldiering, but we did it because he made me do it. So there's no investigation. There's no, you know, lawyers. There's no lawsuit. Joab doesn't tell anybody. I think David thought he got away with it. So she is told her husband was killed. She grieves, which is a certain amount of days. She mourns. After she's done mourning, he brings her back to his palace and makes her his wife. And in a few months, she bears him a son. Whew! It looks like he got away with it. But God's about ready to lay down the smack, you know? He sends Nathan, the prophet Nathan, gonna, gonna, oh, the, here's this verse. 1127 says, and when her mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. I'm really glad that sentence is in there because this is so unjust. It's so wrong. And God is like, uh-uh, no way, no way. So he sends Nathan, this prophet, and he comes with this story. The story's great. He doesn't tell it like a parable. He tells it like these are two guys. These are two real guys. And David's listening, and he trusts Nathan. Here's the story, chapter 12, 1 through 4. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, There were these two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds. But the more poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and his children. It ate his own food, it drank from his own cup, lay in his bosom, it was like a daughter to him. Then this traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him, but he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. It's a brilliant story because King David gets rightfully angry because it's so wrong. It's such a bad thing that this guy did. So he's got David right now. So David's anger, this is verse 5 and 6, David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. Wow! And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, that man who has done this shall surely die. He shall restore four, fourfold for the lamb, because he did this thing and because he had no pity. So David thinks he's going to help make this story right for, for whoever you know, Nathan knows. He's going to fix this. He's mad. And wow, the next sentence is one of the great sentences in the Bible. 
Nathan says to David, you are the man. Now, it's like this whole conversation just went, and he suddenly holds up this big mirror. Take a look, buddy. It's you. And so David, who's the king, who has absolute sovereign power, stands there and takes it because he knows my goose is cooked. I, I didn't get away with it. And now I'm about ready to hear what this prophet has to say to me. It's not going to be pretty because I really messed up. You are the man. And then he says, thus says the Lord God of Israel. <laughs> he really, he's really, you know, going to give it to him. I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. Got all the scripture up there. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping. One of the things they did back, as I was studying, I saw that they would turn over the concubines and wives to the next, whoever became king for their keeping. It's part of their inherited property. So I gave you Saul's wives and concubines. Um, into your keeping and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. Judah's not separated yet, Israel and Judah. They're one nation. But within this story, they have like a civil war because of the beginning of this stuff. And if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. He had so much. He's like that rich man. He's got so much, but no, I want that. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife and have, and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. He was entirely innocent, but David had him killed. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Boy, he keeps saying it. You weren't supposed to do that. She wasn't yours for the taking. The sword will never depart from your house. This is not real great. Not real great. And then, thus says the Lord again, Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house. And this is part of the real tragedy. His own loved ones are going to come against him and cause him trouble. And I will take your wives. I'm going to take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. That's kind of yucky. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the son. So, the plot thickens here. David in verse 13 says, I have sinned against the Lord. You know, Saul would often be like, well, they, they made me do it, or eh, I didn't know. You know, he was always minimalizing and blaming somebody and whining, and God was not into that with Saul. David's like, I have, I have no place to go. I have sinned against the Lord. It's a good thing he needed to fess up. Nathan said to David, a little bit more here, the Lord has also put away your sin. You shall not die. God is going to be merciful, but there's consequences. However, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also who is, who is born to you shall surely die. So another death, another loss. And not only that, for Bathsheba, who also was innocent, here is her firstborn son. And mothers, when you have your babies, you love that baby, that little innocent child. You want to care for that child. Whatever they want, you want to give it to them. He dies. Her baby, 
slips away, probably really broke her heart. And she didn't deserve that either. All right, David really beautifully repents, and he writes Psalm 51. It's a beautiful psalm. He's sorry. He's caught. He's sorry. He has a bad word just given to him. I got some bad days ahead. The sword's never going to leave my family. People from my own household are going to rise up against me, and this little baby's going to die, which he does. But let's look at Psalm 51, verse 10 through 17. It starts, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. You know, he's been covering this sin for months and months and months. He needs a clean heart. He needs to feel like, oh my goodness, forgive me, wash me clean, please. I've been so bad and I covered it and I was duplicitous and now come on, get me right with you again. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. I think he probably saw what happened with King Saul when God really removed himself from Saul's lying and his carnal attitude and his negativity and his lack of spiritual life. God just like, no, and he, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then, then, once I've been restored to you, I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. When we're walking in secret sin, you know, we don't have the same anointing. Many, maybe you've even seen it in people's lives. I know I have. Like, they look like they're doing all the spiritual stuff, but some's not right. And then often you'll find out later, yeah, I was bleh, doing whatever, and I need to get right with God. Then the anointing returns, the true anointing. So then I'll teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will be converted unto you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation. You know, there's one thing to be a soldier, and you've got to kill soldiers that are attacking your nation. It's another thing when you just murder somebody. He just murdered um, Uriah. And my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will show forth your praise. Okay, we're almost done with this part of the psalm. For you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. I'm not going to have a whole bunch of bulls killed and smoke go up. No. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken spirit and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. So his heart is broken. God always always welcomes us when we're like so guilty yes i did that please forgive me thank you god oh thank you god his joy can return his joy can return and relationship with god can return even though he knows he's got some stuff ahead so i just want to say um you know she then her next baby bathsheba has is solomon so it's a while later, then she has Solomon, and when Solomon is two years old, so this is a while later, this prophecy is about to start getting real. Solomon's only two years old, but King David's oldest son, Amnon, is 22. He's not a man of good character. He's a man of low character for some reason, I don't know why. But he is in love with his younger half-sister, Tamar. She's only 15. 
I have a 15-year-old granddaughter. She's a little twerp, you know. She's a, Abby, she's a great artist. She's very skilled. But we talk to them on Messenger, and she, she makes jokes and keeps doing different apps. You know, all these funny things show up, her and Aiden. And she laughs. She's a little just Abby. You know, 15-year-olds have dreams. Maybe I'll have a boyfriend. Maybe someday I'll get married and have kids. That's just little to me, <laughs> 15-year-old. He's 22. Her brother, Absalom, is 20. So he does this plan, Amnon, I want her. He threw a plan, you can read the story, gets her into his room, gets everybody else out, grabs her and says, come and lie with me. And she says, I don't know if we have the verse for that. No, maybe no more verses. Huh? The reference? What is that reference? I'm sorry, I don't know. <laughs> Anyway, it's in chapter 12. She says, don't do this thing. Don't do this disgraceful thing. This isn't done in Israel. Yes. Do, and then one more. Do not do this. Where would I take my shame? I can make me cry. Whew. And as for you, you would be like one of the fools in Israel. Now, therefore, please speak to the king. He will not withhold me from you. Do the right thing. Don't do this thing. And, and, you know, it's, so it's the same thing as like with David. It was foolish, it was disgraceful, it was shameful. Now Amnon's doing the same thing in a sense. But he overpowers her and he rapes her. And then he, then he hates her with more of a hatred than this crazy love he had for her and sends her away. And I just want to say this and make it really clear. It's hard for me to say it. He took away all her dreams because it says she remained desolate in her brother Absalom's house. And if you look it up, no, no, she was desolate. She will not marry. In that culture, she was shamed. And he, he should have married her because it says in the law, if you have relations with a virgin, you need to marry her. But he sends her away, which is, she says, this is worse than what you just did. And she, this pretty little girl... Just, he took her dreams away. So, that needs to be mentioned because all the men are, you know, for, forefront of this story, but the women matter too. It mattered that that little girl was hurt. Anyway, her brother Absalom had to see her every day, brokenhearted. And he harbored hatred in his heart for his brother Amnon. Didn't talk to him, it says he didn't talk to him. Didn't. Didn't let it be known, and it says David was very angry, but David didn't do anything. So that also made it Absalom, I, th I think, made him mad. It doesn't say it, I'm, I'm assuming. Within two years, he made a plan, got all the sons of the king together, there's about 19 of them, and had, Absalom, had Amnon killed. He said, uh, when I give a signal, kill him. He had Amnon killed, all the sons fled, ran home to the palace, they all cried together. Absalom went away for three years. Finally, uh, it says King David was better, better about Amnon, had grieved Amnon, and now was grieving for Absalom. And so he finally brought him back to Jerusalem, but he still didn't see him for another two years. But his heart was longing for Absalom, even though he killed his firstborn son. <clears throat> so he greets him again, kisses him, da-da-da. <clears throat> Within some amount of time, 
if you've read this story, Absalom gets this plan, hatches a big plan, big bad plan. Nathan's prophecy, again, more of it coming true. He has chariots and 50 men running in front of him, make way, you know. Wins the hearts over of the, of the men of Israel, more of the no northern men, because, <coughs> excuse me, the men of Judah were pretty loyal to um, David. It's known Absalom's won the hearts of the men of Israel. It's a coup. David leaves, takes his children and wives and soldiers, leaves ten concubines there. Um, Absalom comes into Jerusalem. Hey, hey, here I am. Sleeps with the wives on the roof. Really cool, you know. In your face, King David. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm the guy. But then they do actually have to have like a war. David doesn't actually fight him, but his soldiers do, and Absalom is killed. You know, he gets this beautiful, his beautiful black curly hair stuck in a tree. The mule runs away, donkey runs away. There he is hanging in midair, and Joab thrusts three spears into his heart. So David is quite sad, has to, then has to tell his people, no, thank you, thank you, you helped me. But that's what happened. That's part of the consequences. Later, another son, Adonijah, rises up and says, I'm going to be king. David has to say, put Solomon in as king. And so all the men get that going, and Solomon becomes the king before David dies. But anyway, those are really awful things that happens to him. And in that battle, Israel, the northern kingdom with Absalom, David with Judah, his mighty soldiers, he's got mighty soldiers, they, def they killed 20,000 of the men of Israel. It doesn't say how many died from Judah, but that's 20,000 men that just died because of this whole thing that got started with David's big bad mistake, big bad sin. So I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to turn it over to you, Dan. So Father... This is an instructive story. It's a very serious story. It's not a fun story to read. People are hurt. People's lives are ruined. Um, people die. People are murdered. Father, but yet there is that totally wonderful truth that comes out in Psalm 51 that if we repent, if we are sorry, if our heart is broken and our spirit is broken, you receive us, Lord. We want to be like that. If we are harboring something, we are thinking you don't see, you do see. Let us keep that sheet short, our uh, debt short. Let us get right with you quick. Let us get right with you quick when we make mistakes and let your mercy wash over us, Lord, and be right with you because we love you. So uh, on a good note, God is good. He loves us. We have the cross. It's big enough for all our sins. We can always run to Jesus. So 